Look at 35 quickly. Let me kind of show you what's going on in the text and why we bunched all these together. How many of you remember all the directions that God gave? God said, I want my people to make some contributions, bring me some gold, bring me some silver, bring me some bronze, bring me some colored linens. And God's people, brought, look at chapter 35, God's people brought all these things and then they got to work making what God told them to make. A lot of directions God gave about a tent of meeting, uh, about the furnishings of the tent, about the bronze altar and the bronze basin that were to be outside, the, the priestly garments. I mean, there's a lot of things. God gave very specific directions to his people on how to make these things. And so chapter 35, 36, 37, it's just them constructing the tabernacle, making the ark, making the lampstand, making the table. They're, they're doing all the things that God told them to do, which is why we're going to go back to 31 and just title this sermon, A Theology of Work. God gives his people something to do, and he wants his people to accomplish the tasks he has set out for them to do. Amen? Let's pray and we'll get started. Father in heaven, you are good. Thank you for every man, every woman here. Uh, thank you that one more week we can gather together in your name. Father, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know we're here right now and no one's here on accident. We're all here on purpose, your purpose. Speak to us, encourage us empower us, uh, light a fire in us. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Exodus chapter 31, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name. Now listen, if, if I was doing my Georgia accent reading this name, I would call this name Bezalel. But I looked it up, and that's not how you say it. It's called Bezalel, which doesn't make any sense to me at all, but that's Hebrew. So there you go. So Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Did he make Bezalel a little God? No, but he did fill him with his Spirit so that he could accomplish a specific task that God had given him to do. We see this throughout the scripture as God will uh, send his spirit to empower his people to do what he's called them to do. And how many of you already know we can't do anything in our own power or of our own strength? It is not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. God's spirit he sends to us is how everything good in our lives happen. It's by God. It's not through our power or might. It's through God's spirit. So God sends his spirit just like he does on Joseph, just like he does on, on so many, David, so many other uh, Bible figures, granting them the ability to do what God's called them to do. And here's some more good news. God always equips those whom he calls. Amen? God does it, right? Uh, we have Acts chapter 2. The whole book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit not being restricted to this king or this prophet like in the Old Testament, but God sends his spirit on all flesh, your sons, your daughters. God's spirit now dwells and empowers his people for the work of ministry that God has called us to in this time, in this generation. Every generation has a responsibility. God has made us a free people, but we got to maintain that freedom by following him in obedience, amen, doing what he's called us to do, making his name great. That's the whole sermon in a nutshell, just so you know. I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all craftsmanship. Right? God's good to his people. He gives good gifts, amen, to devise artistic designs. To work in gold and silver and 
of bronze and cutting stones for setting and then carving wood to work in every craft. Now, God is clear in the Ten Commandments he gives his people. He's not into them making idols. But does that mean they can't work with any wood? Of course not. God says an idol is something where you try to confine my glory and my presence in something made with your hands. And anytime you do that, whatever you make it out to be, it's going to diminish my nature, diminish my character. You're never going to be able to contain me. But God is all about the artistic creation of his people. And he gifts his people to create these artistic creations. Look at verse 6. To work in every craft, into verse 5. So there's textiles, there's, there's all kinds of things happening. Remember, there was, there was curtains and carpets and, and furnishings, and there was a lot going on. In the courtyard was all the bronze, the bronze basin, the bronze altar. There was silver and gold work within the, the tabernacle. The tent of meeting, lots to do for God's people. And it took some time. I mean, five chapters. We don't know how long that was, uh, but five chapters. They are making the things that God told them to make. Verse 6, and behold, we name number two. And behold, I have appointed with him, now again in my Georgia vernacular, Oh, holy ab. I don't know if Ray and Allison's here. I don't know if, I'm just saying, I don't know who's made announcements and who's not. But if you are pregnant and you're having a boy, oh, holy abs, pretty good, strong name. Strong name. That kid won't get beat up ever. <laughs> oh, holy ab. B's or V's in Hebrew, so oh, holy av. Oh, holy av, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability. So it's not just these two guys, their name, but it's, it's everybody that God has called to work on these things. He's given them the breath, the strength, the ability to be part of what he is doing in the world. Think about what these guys are doing right here. They're making the things that we've been studying the last 30 weeks. All those priestly garments, I mean, they are there in the beginning. It's their gold and silver they brought to the table. They're making all this stuff with. This is an incredible time in history. And God doesn't snap his fingers and say, I'll just do it for you. God always involves his people in his work. Do you want to know the most troubling Bible verse to me? When we were studying Matthew, this is years ago, but we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and right there in the beginning, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looks and he tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. And you know what? That just bugs me. I don't like it. Because I've read John 1. I know he's the light of the world. We're nothing. But with God's spirit in our lives, with God's directions given to us, that's why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I would never trust my will to us. That's exactly what God does. He entrusts his will, his purposes, his directions in his people and calls them into his work. That's what's happening here in chapter 31. We got two guys. We got a lot of guys, but two guys mentioned by name. Oholiav and Buzalei. How many of you are going to remember those names when we get into Revelation? We'll remember Moses. We'll remember Joshua was here. But these are just two, just two normal guys who were here in this moment. Whose names are now immortalized in Holy Scripture. 
Because God said do something and they put their hands to the plow. It's a big deal. Oh, Brent, you know, people tell me over and over and over and over again, well, you know, Brent, not, you know, not, yeah, that was a holy ab, and that was, that was then, and yeah, they're just two normal guys, but the Bible's not talking to normal guys like me. The Bible's talking to normal guys and normal gals just like you. How do I know? Because I sat in those seats for a long time before I was up here. I did a uh, church planning conference several years ago. And I don't, I don't like conference style anything, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just kind of a raw guy. So I don't like a lot of polish. I'm not going to put a suit on for you, nothing like that. I just got up there, and I held out my hands like this, and I said, take a good look. <laughs> I turned around, did a little spin for him. Sarah was on stage with me. I was like, you want to know what a church, this is a church planner. And guess what? If God can use me, he can use you too. Because what's my favorite line? I'm a turd. (laughs) If you're sitting there, and look, not everybody's called into ecclesiological ministry. Not everybody's called to be a pastor or, or a teacher. But we are all called to the work of God. And there is no one who cannot say, God, I feel like you're leading me to do this thing and empower me by your spirit, that you cannot do what God calls you to do. You can be the dad you want to be to your children. You can be the mom you want to be to your children. You can, you can be the family that loves God and does devotion. You can be the teacher who not only impacts uh, kids uh, intellectually, but the, the Spirit of God is on you. And you can lead. You can guide people. You can be that doctor with that bedside manner that just honors and glorifies God in the lives of people who are sick and need help. There are no limits. There are no rules for what God calls uh, us to in bringing his name, greatness, in this world. You can do what he calls us to do through his word. Amen? Aholiab gets it. Bezaleh gets it. Behold, I have appointed him, verse 7, make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, For the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. God does not give directions to hear himself speak. Every parent in the room should say, amen. Are you listening, son or daughter? We don't give commands. We don't don't lay out rules just because we think it's fun. God knows what he's doing at this time in history. He is laying out the patterns that foreshadow the coming of his promise, of his son, Christ Jesus himself. We'll talk a lot about him in a moment, but God knows all these colors. Every little detail is significant and important for us and our understanding of the, the gospel the scarlet thread of salvation moving through. And these guys got to be part of it, just like we get to be part of it now on this side of the cross as God's people, the church, the ecclesia, the gathered together people. We serve them out there. We come together and we serve them as his visible tabernacle today. So before we move into verse 12, Talk about the importance of the Sabbath. I just want to unpack a little bit 
of a theology of work, the right way to see our work, both secular work, relational work, and our work together as the church, because it's all important. And by God's grace, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you matter way more than you could possibly think or imagine. Put up Genesis chapter 2. First big idea. If you're taking notes, big idea number one. God created Adam and Eve to work in the garden. God is creator God. God is a, he's not some static spirit. He, he is sharing himself, which is what work is. He, is. he has always been, God didn't make us because he was lonely. He has always been in perfect harmony and community with himself. He is good. Remember, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'll show you my goodness. God is good, and out of his goodness, he shares himself, and he creates. He, he breathes creation into existence and forms man out of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul, and from the rib creates Eve to help him, because men need a lot of help. Isn't that right, ladies? God creates. And so many times, a faulty understanding that occurs in our heads is we think work is part of the curse. But work is not part of the curse. Work was there in the garden. God creates, God shares, makes us in his image and his likeness to work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work. Before there was a conversation with Satan, before they were hanging out by that one tree they shouldn't have been by. I, I mean, they're in the garden. They're naming the animals. They're, they're, they're tending the garden just as God created them to do. Our work is not a part of the fall. It's part of God's ordained reality for human life on planet Earth. Right, what did he tell them to do? To work and have dominion. I've put you here. I've made you higher than all the other animals. They don't have self-awareness. I've given you self-awareness. I come down and I walk with you in the cool of the day. And there is a reason I am giving you dominion here. And I want you to work it and till it and use it for my glory. Work. God has created us. Work is not only the sharing of ourselves, but it is what God has given us for purpose and meaning in this life. Well, Brent, why do I hate work so much? <laughs> Point number two, why is work so hard? Why does work exhaust me? Why do I not want to do it? anymore well there was something that happened after Genesis chapter 2 called the fall there was a conversation with Satan look at Genesis chapter 3 and point number 2 Adam and Eve's rebellion mankind's rebellion resulted in work becoming difficult and to Adam this is God speaking after they ate the forbidden fruit and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Why is our work so hard? Because sin has affected not only our very natures. We are born in sin at this point. David says it clearly in the Psalms. In iniquity I was conceived. But the entire creation itself. That's why Romans 8 says creation is groaning and longing. And waiting for the day to be delivered from the curse. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And listen, why, why do we hate work? In pain you shall eat of it all 
the days of your life. Verse 18, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Basically that's a nice way that God calls us worm food. God created us to work. Gives meaning and purpose to us in our work. Why is work so hard? Because of the curse. Ground is now cursed, thorns and thistles. It's in pain. Our work comes with blood, it comes with sweat, and it comes with tears. But it is still part of God's ordained plan for humanity. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 31 as we get to point three of our theology of work. Because work is so hard now, God is good to give us rest from it. I don't know how many workaholics are in here. You don't think you could ever take a moment. It's, it's a money, 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 money. Money. God gives rest because we need it. And because it helps us to remember this thing's not really about, it. yeah, he's called us to work. And yeah, there's meaning and purpose as we share ourselves, ourselves for, for him and his glory. But it's not about our work. We can take a break from the plow because of the work that he has done on our behalf. Let's read verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. Now notice that's plural because there's, there's actually a lot of rest that God gives Every week we work six days, we get, we get a day to rest, to remember him, to be with family, to honor him. An entire day we take our hand off and say, this is all about you. I have faith in you and I trust you to sustain me in my rest. But not only do we have a day of the week, there was entire, and we talked about this a little bit in Exodus, there was uh, uh, entire uh, years where God said, give the land rest. Let the land rest from its labor. There was even, uh, every so often, there was something called jubilee. People liked jubilee in the ancient world. If you found yourself in a hard situation and you owed debts and you had become uh, indentured and you're working for somebody else to pay off debts, well, every time jubilee came around, guess what? All debts were paid. You went free. Trying to bring that back, right? That's a good one. God creates periods of rest weekly and annually. So his people will remember this is about your work and not ours. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. The Sabbath sets apart God's people. The Canaanites weren't taking a day off. The Parasites, the Jebusites, the Egyptians, they weren't taking days off. But God says, keep my Sabbath. It sanctifies you. It sets you apart from everyone else. This is one of the ways that Christianity has really truly influenced the world. I've told you before about how we got a weekend in our country. They couldn't figure out whether to go with the, the Jewish Sabbath of Saturday or the, the Christians worshipped on Sunday, the day the Lord rose from the dead. So they just gave both days off and the world followed suit. We all get weekends because of generation after generation. Follow this. Keep this. And God is good. Amen. Therefore, let me go back. I, yeah, I can't miss the you're going to die if you don't do it part. Verse 14. <laughs> you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. God is serious about the rest that we are to take in him. 
Six days we work, but then we put the plow down and we rest. We lay our head in his bosom. And we say, you are everything and we are nothing. Help us to remember you sustained. It was your manna. It was your cloud. It was your pillar of fire. It was you that parted the Red Sea. We rest in the sustenance and the daily bread that you will bring. Anyone who can't rest is cut off. God provides a way for us to move forward. We have to do things God's way. He builds that clearly into his system. Some of you say, well, it just seems harsh. Why should they die? Does it seem harsh if I tell my kid not to reach up and touch the stove? No, it's for their benefit. It's for their good. To remember the rest that our God has given us is essential to our entire understanding of life and work. We're going to get it wrong coming up with our own ways. We must rest in him and the work that he has done. Six, uh, verse 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath, they shall be put to death. Says it twice. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God, is God saying that for his benefit or for ours? He reminds us that he worked six days and rested on the seventh. It's an example to us of the importance of his work. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Those tablets will be laid in the Ark of the Covenant covered by the mercy seat. Every year at the Day of Atonement, the blood of the Lamb shall be poured upon it, covering, atoning for the broken law, the law that, that we, God's people, had broken. This is the work we rest in, the atoning salvation of God. Point number one, work is not a result of the fall. It's part of God's original design for humanity. Point number two, we should understand that the hardship of work comes from our sin. Point number three, Every week we should rest in the work that Christ has done on our behalf, that God commands us to rest in. Point number four, all work is done for the glory of God and his kingdom advancement. Well, Brent, what about when I'm just cleaning the house? I've quoted Brother Lawrence a couple times in Exodus. Clean those toilets like you're cleaning them to the glory of God. Because it matters, amen? Everything we do, every breath we spend, all the energy we exude and expel, everything we do should be done to the glory of God. This is a proper theology of work. Everything, Secular work, relational work, work within the church, it's all done to make God's name great. Read with me in 1 Peter 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift. Now notice there's no parentheses here. That says, well, obviously not, obviously not you in the third row in the blue shirt. As each has received a gift. It's emphatic. Use it to serve one another. I don't like my neighbor. Doesn't matter, does it? Th- think. Think of how the... Look, this takes vision. Think how the world could look. 
if God's people would really be God's people. Think how the world, you know, the world's already been changed once by God's people. Rome was a powerhouse. It was a political pantheon of power and glory and honor and the Pax Romana and, you know, their way of their system of law and their system of peace. And everything changed with 12 scrappy fishermen guys who turned the world upside down. Do you know, I I can't remember if it was Tacitus or, you know, one of these old, you know, uh, kind of publican guys uh, of that era wrote about Christians. Think about it. These little ragtag bands of people meeting mostly in houses. I mean, Jerusalem had a big church. It was part of the Roman Empire, but most of, the, most of what we read about in Ephesians was a network of smaller churches uh, all throughout the city of Ephesus. It was these little great thinkers of Rome said, look how they love one another. Look how they serve one another. They had never seen anything like the Christian church. And the world changed. And it can change again. And it needs to change again. To each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. There's a lot of grace God gives. You know, we're studying 1 Corinthians right now. I just wrote the chapter this past week on the gifts of grace, the charismata, uh, which is translated gifts of God's grace. There are over 20 mentioned in the Bible. Some are spiritual, but some are very simple, very natural gifts, leadership, maintenance, helping, serving. Everybody gets a gift. And we're to use those gifts in service of one another. Yeah, there are some speaking gifts. Not everybody's called to have a speaking gift, but everybody has a gift. And we're to use it out there and in here for God's glory. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Why do we need to slow down and think a little more about the theology of work that we find in Scripture? Because God's glory and his dominion are on display through our serving one another. It's important. Look with me at uh, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, doctor with the bedside manner, lawyer putting together family trusts for families in our area, teacher raising up a, a next generation, again, intellectually, but... We all in here who come from an older world remember how important teachers were in our lives. Don't let this world tell you that's not the way it is anymore. Because it's just as it's more important now than it ever has been. Out there, Brent, I clean homes. Man, may the family you clean a home for, may they come in and say, I will eat soup out of this toilet bowl. Because eventually, someday, it's going to, you just do such a better job than everybody else. Just love the Lord, doing my best to serve. God gets glory. His dominion is seen through our sharing of ourselves, through the meaning and purpose he gives us to do so. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, we all wish, I was reading an article this morning about the guy who invented Red Bull. We all wish we had that idea, right? <laughs> all right, there's some, there's some people out there, that, man, they just get to do some cool stuff. But there is nothing greater 
Don't be fooled. There's nothing greater we could give our lives to than the glory and the dominion of God on planet Earth. What could, who cares? We all are worm food. We're all going to return to the dust of the ground. Who cares? Except for what we do for the person we're going to spend eternity with. Do it for the Lord and not for men. Point number four. You take a notes. This is a good one. Jesus perfectly accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. Brent, you know, I've put my hand on the plow before. Man, there have been some, some seasons of my life and some years of my life where I've just done, I've done so well and I saw the difference that God was using me to make for his name and his glory in the lives of others. But I've gone cold. I've kind of I've I've uh, drifted away a little bit. I just I have so much guilt and shame. I don't know if I can just jump back in. You can. You can jump right back in. Why? Oh, because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Jesus Christ accomplished everything. We don't. It's easy for us to fall back into guilt and shame, but Jesus did everything right. He lived the perfect life that we did not and we could not. When you think about Jesus, not just that he was perfect, he didn't do anything wrong ever. But he also never failed to do right. Think about that. That's why scripture over and over again teaches. And it's why I say over and over. He, he fulfilled every righteous requirement the father gave him. Jesus says, I only go where the father tells me to go. I only do what the father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Jesus never failed in word, deed, or thought. He fulfilled. Look with me in John chapter 17, verse 4. This is part of his high priestly prayer in John before he goes to the cross. He's praying to his Father and he says, I glorified you. What's our job? Bring glory to, to, to showcase the glory and the dominion of God in the world. Jesus says, I've done it. I've, in human flesh, I have done what you've sent me to do, and I've done it perfectly. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Where we have failed, he has accomplished. Amen? Right? Even, even in the past, if we have drifted, if we, if, we have, if we are laboring under guilt and shame, there is an answer. And Jesus is the answer. Our theology of work, what are we resting in on the Sabbath? It better be the finished work of Christ. That's why our head can be brought into his bosom. Look at what he says in John chapter 19, verse 30. This is one of his final statements from the cross. And what is it that he says? It is almost done. That's an emphatic word too. It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't mean probably. It doesn't mean I think I, I, think I did a good job. It, the work you gave me to do is finished. That's why the writer Paul in Ephesians says, we are, this work he has done, we are sealed in his spirit because the work's not ongoing. It's finished. Jesus did live the perfect life. He did die in our place for our sins. He did rise conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. It's what he's done. It's a finished work that you and I are brought into. So, big idea, Jesus perfectly accomplishes the work the Father gave him to do. And then Jesus commissions this work to continue through us. The finished work of Christ sealed in us through God's Spirit 
Jesus is now in this finished work. You've got work to do until I return. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Because it's not just serving out there, right? It's in every sphere of our lives. God is calling us to showcase His glory and His dominion. And He's given gifts to us to do that. Jesus descended from heaven, left a throne, descended onto the battlefield of sin, death, hell, and the grave, and conquered and slayed his enemies. And as a result, now has all the spoils of war. And what does he do with those spoils of war? He gives them to you. He gives them to his church because there's a work for us to do showcasing his glory and his dominion until he returns. And he gave, these are gifts that belong to him because he's the conquering king. He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. He gave these ministries to the church, these gifts to the church. Why? Because they're the important ones. They're the only ones we should be talking to or listening to? No, look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 quickly. This is one of my favorite places in the text to show you in the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, how important you are to the work. There's got to be some Ohiliabs today, some Bezalays today, new generation, new things God is doing as we to showcase the glory of the name of Christ and the dominion He has. It's our turns, our job, our generation, this church gathered body. The tabernacle, the revealed, right? You are the light of the world. According to the grace of God, it's not about us, but his grace. Paul says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Well, Brent, how do we know if we're doing the work right? Is, it, is Jesus' name coming out of your mouth left and right? Is he? Do people know he's your hope? He's your goal? He's your desire? He's the love of your life? Yes, we love our wives and our kids, but Jesus Christ leads all, is all, in all. Is his name being poured out? Everything we're doing, is it on the foundation of what's already been laid? That's how we know if we're doing it right. It's about his gospel, his glory, his dominion in this world. What can change a human heart? As much as I love so many programs and so many ministries, there's only one thing that can break a heart in half. There's only one thing that can take stone and make it flesh. It's the gospel. It's this work that Christ has finished and accomplished. The work his father gave him to do. We're the stewards. We're the image bearers now. As we talked about last week. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, stones. That sound familiar? All that foreshadowing to Christ from the tent of meeting. But there's also wood, hay, straw. Six building materials here. Three imperishable and three others perishable move forward 13 each one's work will become manifest hear me no one gets away with anything our work if we've been lazy it's going to be exposed if we have served well it's going to be exposed if we have been half Half eager, every person's work will become manifest. That means it's going to come into the light. We're going to see 
for the day, capital D day, the day of judgment, the day Christ returns, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Who is God? He is a consuming fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if that work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. What happens to God's people when they work hard at obeying God? Blessing. Blessing. What happens when they disobey? Curses. Curses. They're still his people, but it's hard. It's even harder in their disobedience. There will be a reward, anyone who has built well. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, our work doesn't save us. His work saves us. But you can be a poor worker in his field, in his vineyard. And that does matter as well. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. God's glory and God's dominion are worth our time, our energy, our blood, our sweat, and our tears. And when we do well, building on the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ in this world, oh, we will see God's grace. We've already seen God's grace. Did you know our volunteer numbers are above national average every year here at Four Points? You want to know why? Because people love Jesus here. Our, our giving is above national averages every year. Why? Because people love Jesus here. People are getting saved and baptized. Uh, we're, we're becoming a real church. <laughs> and that's a miracle because it shouldn't be happening. But here we are. God's doing his thing in us, through us. Why? Because we're being faithful and obedient as we can. We all screw up. We mess up. But we ask for forgiveness. Every, that's why every Sunday, I don't know if you've ever even noticed, but every Sunday, corporate confession. It's kind of part of our thing. Because I know me, and if I know me, I know you. And you weren't perfect this week, just like I wasn't. We need Jesus so we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins so we can keep our hand to that plow, empowered by his spirit to do his work. And when we do well, man, we see the blessings all around us. Families coming, joy, happiness, life, small groups growing. I mean, it's crazy what he's doing. We take our hand off that plow. We start living for ourselves. Right? All this breath. He's given all this strength he's given us. It just blows away like the chaff of the field. Oh, we'll still be Christians, but there'll be no reward. His glory, his dominion are worth everything. Who wants to waste their life? Who wants to waste this breath, these gifts that God has given us? I want to see more miracles. I want to see more marriages restored. I want to see more families growing in Christ together, sitting in church. I want to see more 11 and 12-year-olds taking notes. I want to see more. Lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is Paul speaking. Great gospel chapter. I've preached this chapter uh, a couple times at Easter over the last 15 years. Now remember Paul. There's no bigger turd in this room than Paul. Who Paul was before Christ. Murdered Christians. Went after him. Was on his way to imprison him when Jesus showed up and said, What are you doing? <laughs> and remember what Jesus told him? He said, why are you fighting against me? Jesus takes it personally when people attack his people. Why are you fighting against me? Why are you kicking against the goads? So Paul here is reflecting. He's already 
preached the gospel and he's already talked about how God raised up the apostles. Then he gets to himself and he says, last of all, least of these, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. See, if Jesus is already, if you love him, you're a Christian, you already know everything I'm saying is true. You already know to whom much is given, much is required. You already know you've got a place at his table and a purpose in his kingdom to reflect him well. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 9, for I am the least. Let me ask you a question. When you read the New Testament, whose name's everywhere? Who wrote more books of the New Testament than, than any other apostle? Who was imprisoned more, beaten more, more exploits in the name of Jesus? Who became called up into the third heaven? Uh, Paul became so heady in his understanding of God's glory. God had to give him a thorn in the flesh to humble him. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary. Remember that little verse as we read this. To whoever is forgiven much, loves much. Paul was forgiven a great deal. Which is why he didn't have to. His work didn't save him. The work of Jesus saved him. But because he loved Jesus so much, he said, I worked harder than any of them. You know what a funny principle that we find in the Bible? Those who work hard get more done. We got one more week in Exodus. Reflect on, pray about loving him and working harder to get more done in his name and for his glory. His glory and his dominion are worth everything that we have. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you. No man, no woman can change anyone's heart. Only your word can. Father, use your word to hammer and fashion and mold and shape your people for the work that is ahead of us. Jesus, it is clear there is a work to be done. Be with us. It is in Jesus' name. Amen.